EdTech Mondays Kenya is supported by the MasterCard Foundation Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning in partnership with EdTech East Africa. Hello and welcome to today's edition of EdTech Mondays Kenya. My name is Moses Kemibaro, your host and moderator for EdTech Mondays Kenya. Today we are at Innovate Nairobi, a technology event hosted by the Nairobi City County, where we're going to be looking at what it takes to bolster the growth of the EdTech ecosystem in this great county of ours, also known as the Silicon Savannah. I'd like, first of all, to introduce our panel, Clara Modoni Njeru, who's a researcher at Education Design Unlimited. Uh, we also have Akwen Mohamed Abdi, Chief Officer, ECD and TVET at the Nairobi County. And lastly, we have Isaac Nogolo, who's the co-founder and CEO of Zeraki. And our sign language interpreter for today, as always, is Rosa Bono. I'd like to start off with a fairly broad question, starting off with you, Clara. If we look at the evolution of education and more importantly, ethic, uh, from your perspective, within the county, working with teachers through the research you've been doing, what has been the journey thus far and what sort of impact have you noticed? The products that are being built are more diverse. I feel like six, seven years ago, more products were focused on learners and uh, teachers felt they were, they were being left behind. And uh, now you find more products that are diverse. They have a learner component and a teacher component. Uh, I think the other aspect is um, more coding and uh, robotics programs, especially being at the capital city, a lot of programs, weekend programs and, and uh, holiday programs being available to learners and um, having more organizations that are um, catering to learners of parents who can pay for the programs and also funding um, where uh, coding programs are available in low-income areas and children can engage in this as well. Since the technology is fairly embraced, we have, uh, we're able to even pre-record uh, lessons and of course becomes a revision for children as well as, you know, uh, the teachers are able to, you know, have even the scheme of work uh, in, in, a, in a modern way uh, where they can, you know, prepare it very easily. Uh, secondly, we are able, even uh, through technology, we're able to monitor the number of, you know, uh, when the teachers arrived at school, when the teachers are, you know, what they have, what they are teaching, what they have taught. We're able also to monitor the, the enrollment of the children through technology. As we actually, in the head office, we're able to see what has happened in Saturday school, how many children has arrived today, how many children are enrolled, what do we have, what are the challenges this institution has? Those are actually records. Uh, say that this is a good move. One aspect that I'd like to add is just the acceptability of attack. Five or seven years ago, you walk into a school and it feels like you're a stranger. You need to prove to them why you're coming in there. But right now, everybody wants tech. So it's it's longer that that very big proof point of you need me. It's more like we want to, but you need to explain to us the specific ways you can make life easier for us. And that makes it much easier to introduce new tech. And this is uh, enabled both by school and school ecosystems becoming more comfortable, but also from the policy side, policy sees the need for this whether it is uh, the Teacher Service Commission requiring teachers to have ICT integration skills as part of their professional development, or whether it's uh, the Ministry of Education requiring different reporting standards, and as Abdi mentioned, also the, the county, that creates like an overall ecosystem that's a lot more friendly to EdTech right now than it was five years ago. One of the things I think we discussed even in a previous edition of EdTech Mondays is this issue of inequality. 
You know, you look at Kenya and we have uh, the 47 counties. And across these counties, we have a situation where there is disparities um, in terms of schools that have resources and those that do not. And I think that same scenario is also mapped into Nairobi County, where you have schools that have resources and those that don't on the fringes. So how can we use edtech to sort of solve that inequality that might exist? And then we'll also hear Ahmed's and Clara's perspective. When I think about uh, tech, introducing tech within a wider ecosystem, yes, uh, the people who have a lot more resources always have their first pick. But it is not necessarily something that's, that uh, doesn't need to entirely exclude uh, other people who don't have enough resources. If we think about, for instance, the financial services sector, which is where I was working before, the biggest innovation, one of the biggest innovations we've had in this space, both M-Pesa, Equity Bank or Microfinance, all those models were built for people who are previously excluded from mainstream finance. So by appropriately thinking about the needs, applying the design skills and ecosystem approach towards this, even in low resource uh, circumstances, you can design solutions that will be appropriate for those contexts. Our own experience, yes, we, do, we did start our company in Nairobi, but the very first schools that signed up to our solutions were actually outside Nairobi. So if you're thinking about uh, resource uh, capabilities, the schools in Nairobi tend to be, I mean, this looks like the low, uh, the, the low cost uh, private schools as of like high end private schools, uh, same thing with uh, the government funded schools as they're very high cost and then uh, there's also like uh, the day schools with limited resources but at least you don't need to spend a lot of money on transport or prospecting. Ahmed, um, how is the county addressing that inequality, that digital divide, you know, to make sure that as many schools as possible have the opportunities, have the chance, so that their learners can get the best possible outcomes from using EdTech? First and foremost, uh, the issue of inequality in Nairobi is very high. Like the way the people think about Nairobi is, is a place of everything. When you look at... Uh, the school going children in Nairobi. Three quarter of our children are based in the informal settlements, meaning they're the most unprivileged uh, people in the society. How we can address those inequalities? One of it is like you know, uh, the way we have introduced the school feeding program. That will mean that uh, whether you are from Mufare or from Kibera or whether you are from Kilimani or Lovington, all the children will eat the same food. Uh, that means they are going to uh, reduce the gap of the inequality. Uh, secondly, uh, as an institution, Nairobi City County, uh, all of our schools, we have introduced a system of free uh, money for, uh, for ECD, whereby we are able to provide our children uh, books, all the learning materials, irrespective of where they come from. Clara, I'd like to hear from you, you know, the bright spots that you're seeing, especially dealing with teachers, dealing with schools, um, around the utilization of EdTech and how this is impacting the quality of learning outcomes in the county. A reference to research projects that we've done in the last one to two years, and um, one was focused on parents, actually, focusing on how do you empower parents from low-income areas to support learning while at home. 
And what we, we, we've tested is uh, differentiated um, interventions where you uh, target parents from low-income areas in different technology, using different technology as opposed to what you would, you know, like a general population. And in Nairobi, we used SMS um, storytelling using SMS for parents in low-income areas and would give them tips uh, how to engage with your child while at home. Um, so and in Keep Kenya Learning, we saw a lot of reception from parents saying, you know, because of the tips I got, I'm able to involve my child more in the activities at home. Apart from them playing, I know that there's other ways we can learn together. They can uh, help me uh, prepare meals and that way they are, you know, learning. I think the advantage of Nairobi being the capital city and the opportunities that there are, you find teachers taking advantage of that and uh, um, being able to own the space when they go to the classroom in terms of digital skills. Actually, that brings me back to you, Isaac. Um, you're working in the edtech space. I'm just wondering, in the work that you do, have you seen any innovative, uh, interesting um, edtech-related uh, solutions and how they're working within the county? Any stories you might be able to share with us on that, on that front? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have, uh, I think, two examples that come top of mind. So you, you, uh, Clara mentioned something about like uh, text messages. And as a best house of Nairobi, and the whole concept was everybody in Nairobi County has access to a feature phone, and you can do a lot of learning and engagement uh, within that uh, within that format. So whether it is, uh, I want an answer to this question, or I want to access this library, but also uh, extending it to giving access to uh, a bank of teachers that they had. Also been fascinated by uh, what that Edu is doing. We talked about uh, the limited access to high-end tech. So let's say in a classroom setting, if it's a high-end class, you'll be able to have perhaps every student in that class will be able to access a mobile device at home. But uh, the model that I learned, um, I do is working on is you have a shared uh, mobile device and you just choose it like in a timeshare model where you can move it from one person to the next person. Because if you have very specific skills that you're trying to uh, teach, uh, train on, uh, the student doesn't need to use the whole uh, device uh, for the whole day. But that's it. I think we also have to mention the uh, government DLP, uh, the Digital Literacy uh, Program that was implemented by the Ministry of Education. In spite of the weaknesses in, uh, in usage, uh, whether it's uh, from a content perspective or the support ecosystem for that, it did a lot to the ecosystem because we now have proof that it's possible to provide the adequate infrastructure within a school setting. Uh, talk about electricity, talk about internet connectivity, talk about devices. I think one of the biggest skepticism that people had when the program was launching is the computers or the laptops will be stolen. We haven't really had much of that. In fact, uh, you've, I've not visited a lot of the schools, but uh, from those work with primary school, they say, Eight years later, you can still you walk to a school and some of the devices are still very new. Okay, I mean, on the education side, that's not a good thing because you want them to have been worn out uh, based on usage. But at the very least, it's proven that it's possible to get the appropriate infrastructure to the school, get devices to the school, and have them last for a long time. Hopefully, when uh, when the government is thinking about like an iteration two, 
is uh, building on that strong foundation. So we can say we as tech entrepreneurs have benefited a lot from that. And these uh, become lessons that the next generation of uh, ed tech or policy or government is able to build on. I'd like to come back to you again for the county perspective. Are there any unique initiatives? You've already talked about the, you know, the feeding program and so forth, but are there any other unique initiatives that you're putting into place to make you know, um, EdTech more pervasive uh, within all the schools within the county? Technology is embraced from the early, from the early level of education. Uh, now, in, in, in our education system, um, we have... We have lessons that even taught in ECDs are integrated and of course taught through digital literacy. What we also need to, to, to know that is all our children from, from the pre-primary education are, are actually introduced into, into digital literacy at that level. So that we already have an existing uh, ICT labs in all our schools. Claren, again, um, I'd like to hear more about your perspective working with teachers. <laughs> Um, what have you seen on the ground in terms of empowering them to bring edtech into their work as teachers? How are they able to incorporate it and make it more impactful in the learning outcomes that they have with their learners? First of all, the teachers in urban areas like Nairobi are more likely to use tech devices, 20% more likely than in rural areas because of all the reasons, you know, DLP project being um, every school in Nairobi that could get the devices, has the devices that they need and the devices are being used. Um, we found that 44% versus 26% in urban versus rural areas. So uh, the openness from teachers, like we've mentioned before here, and then the next stage that we are now thinking through is how teachers can be better supported and coach, coached by the system leaders so one of the things that teachers have requested is more training. So um, during uh, when digital literacy program was being implemented, uh, training was done um, once or a few times by different government agencies, and there's not been you know, uh, continuous training for them. And if you're trained on a tech device for all of us once and you never get a chance to use it, you know, again, you will forget. And support from school leaders and um, curriculum support officers, which, who are some of the people who work with them closely on the day-to-day -to, -day to coach them, and uh, if they see the importance of uh, this is uh, digital skills or digital literacy and devices are important, then they will continue supporting them well. All the you know, private organizations lead them because that's, the, that's their role. The more a teacher feels comfortable with the technology, the more likely they are to go in the classroom and use it effectively. Oh, yeah, there's something I want to add. Uh, when we think about introducing tech within the school ecosystem, we top of mind digital learning and maybe to some extent uh, administrative tools. But I think like uh, EdTech has a much broader context within the school. I would even say it includes technology within uh, the education ecosystem. So top of mind, I'm thinking of, uh, let's say, the Dishina County, uh, which is uh, uh, the county government, the national government is partnering with uh, Food for Education. They have some of the best tech when it comes to, uh, is it identification? Where they tap to feed. Tap to feed. Tap to feed is really fantastic technology. But, and then when that is introduced within the school ecosystem, you're just increasing the digital literacy within that uh, tech ecosystem. So now I'd like to open it out to the audience. Um, if any of you have any questions you'd like to feel to the panelists, now will be the time. My question is uh, directed towards Isaac. 
Uh, how easy was it, especially in the initial stages, for you to navigate the tough terrains of, you know, getting your system to work, getting it, in, it into the ecosystem, and especially focused on, you know, capital and, you know, funding as, as well? I'll say it was very difficult. And uh, everything about tech tech is uh, difficult. I think like the founders within the room will identify because uh, what you're trying to do is uh, educate the entire ecosystem about why they need the technology, giving them that initial readiness, even before you build that initial skill that allows you to uh, have like financial, I mean, to break even and break even is something that comes way even ahead of that. So in 2015, when we started, that ecosystem was much harder than it is uh, today. We used uh, personal savings to get us uh, a bit of the way. We we'll like it to have a lot of shells who were bought into our dream, which enabled us to literally from funding from ourselves, uh, from our friends. And then because of that limited funding from the very beginning, we were very deliberate about uh, turning in revenue. So uh, by year three, a significant portion of, actually by year two, a significant portion of our expenses was being covered by revenue that we were uh, adding out, uh, selling either to schools, and actually maybe uh, selling our, our solution to schools. It was five or six years, actually it's about six years later that we were able to get institutional funding. I would say this space has become better, although comparatively, uh, if you compare what happens in EdTech to what happens in other industries, is still much worse because on the one hand, EdTech feels very accessible, but the fact that EdTech tends to be more impact-based, uh, a lot of investors are still struggling how to understand it. It requires a long-term investment uh, horizon. They still feel uh, successful EdTech companies that have made money. So little money is coming into the sector. So I would say the lesson for me is uh, you still need to do a fair amount of bootstrapping within EdTech. The, the ecosystem is becoming much better with time. My question is to Clara. You are in the research space and uh, in digital literacy. There's always the, there's now research or being shown online that devices are not good for children. Uh, content gamification is not good. That too much screen time for a child is also not good for a child. So. How do you find the balance? How do you, because in the research, so is there research that been done to find that this is the right balance for a child? Because you also don't want to have, a, to have learners coming out of the system without knowing how anything digital, but at the same time, you don't want to expose them too much so that they can, they are not able to, for example, maybe miss out on cert, certain uh, uh, milestones, uh, learning and also growing milestones. So maybe you could, is there control and what's the way forward? We haven't done research in Nairobi specifically to know what, good, what is a good balance for how long a child is on a device. But uh, like um, she mentioned, you know, like minimize the time. I think my, my, my question would also be what are they engaging in? You know, what uh, created this content? Is it, you know, is it um, uh, based on the, the curriculum? Is it based on a lot of uh, content that is not uh, localized in that sense, like the storytelling. Uh, I suppose that even as you minimize the time, we the little time that they spend on the devices would be best utilized on content that is localized and customized for uh, the learners, both culturally, cultural wise and um, age appropriate content. So um, 
I, I know uh, a lot of games have been created for learners and like I started this conversation with uh, games uh, targeting learners and now content being, more, a bit more, uh, being a bit more diverse to target uh, teachers as well. So I think that uh, um, uh, expands the focus not only to learners only using the devices but also to teachers. And um, the hope is that this um, measuring how much time we spend can then be taken even to schools so that uh, even as we encourage the use there, it's a meaningful use of, uh, of, of the devices and meaningful use of uh, engagement with the content in that sense, yeah. Isaac, there are many platform providers right now, many edtech providers. And how is it that, is there a way we can collaborate? Because I go to a school now, a school has 10 systems. One is for finance, one is for learning, one is, is for what? And then I'm there trying to pitch mine. Is there a way we can collaborate? Being in this space, is there a way we can collaborate that if one person goes to one school, they get all, like it's just one system. You know, you are overloading schools now with too many systems. What you're describing is actually a market opportunity. So I was looking for the name of the company, but it skips my mind. I think the hypothesis when they, when they were founded, maybe in 2014 or something like that, was that in the U.S. there was about, uh, I don't know, hundreds of uh, apps that students need to log into or schools need to log into. Who remembers that many passwords? So it was just like single sign-on for schools. And everybody loved it. And soon enough, it became the default uh, authentication layer for everybody else. But then in the next iteration, it meant that if you want to launch a solution within a school or a school district, it's so much easier for you to launch that within the, uh, their marketplace rather than walking to each of the various school districts. So I think what you're describing is something that can be easily solved. What you potentially saying is maybe there's someone who needs to come up with an API where you just plug in. You don't need to walk to each of the schools in Kenya. You just plug into this API interface and... Um, so I think we're coming to the end of our session and I think I'd like to take it back to the panelists. Uh, based on the conversation we've had, I think in a minute or less, if you can respectively share your thoughts, maybe your parting shot on uh, our conversation today and then we'll bring it to a close. So we'll start off with you, Clara. I can reiterate what I've said in uh, regarding evidence and uh, and the government and private organizations rallying more to do what has been proven to work. Uh, we don't always need to learn from our mistakes here. So, for example, in supporting teachers to embrace technology, supporting uh, digital literacy, like Joanne was saying, with parents, so that um, schools see the importance of that and parents are able to chip in and say we'll pay for internet or we'll um, or someone else will you know pay for the internet and, and we all see that this culminates to better outcomes um, we, there's a lot of uh, research and a report from, by UNESCO a few weeks ago uh, indicated that a technology should only be used when it's beneficial to the learners and when the, it's going to increase the, the learning outcome so um, I think we are at a place where it, we've been in education technology or talking about it for long enough to say um, Nairobi community is advantaged enough to now move to the next stage where it's only going to be used if it's beneficial to the learners and uh, starting with the teachers and other stakeholders who support that in the classroom. Technology is changing our way of life and uh, of course education is also part of it. 
And uh, I'm here to say that any partner that is willing to support the Nairobi children uh, is, is much welcome, so that at least we can partner and, of course, uh, see how we can help our children in terms of digital literacy. Thank you very much. My name is just a huge thank you to Ahmed and the Nairobi County. We always have these conversations within the EdTech community, and one of the things everyone of us always says is, where is government or how do we learn to speak with government? And uh, can government convene these uh, spaces? So for us to be sitting here, uh, because Nairobi County invited us is something that's really powerful. When we have multiple iterations uh, of these conversations, we will be able to design for the specific needs and in ways that helps uh, government fulfill its mandate. So it's huge gratitude from me. Um, I think I'm speaking for a lot of tech entrepreneurs. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you to our panelists for being part of this conversation. And definitely we're looking forward to catching you in the next EdTech Mondays Kenya. Asante Nisana. EdTech Mondays Kenya is supported by the MasterCard Foundation Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning in partnership with EdTech East Africa.